Thank you. Please be seated. Thank you all so much. Well, it's time to uncover. <gasps> now, now you know who it is. Good morning. And um, I'm going to present the offering appeal this morning. And a good Sabbath morning to you all. Now, for all of you who may ever have been to Chile, you would know exactly what was going on there back in August 5 of 2010. Some miners were way down on the ground digging for something. And they went to work, as usual, in the caverns in northern Chile. A little while later, the cry of alarm was sounded. The mine shaft had collapsed. All 33 miners, half a mile down, had no way of escape. A check on the underground emergency supply revealed that there was only a few days of food in their cache of food underground. When their plight became known, officials brought in a Pennsylvania drilling company. They bored a small shaft to reach the miners. It took 17 days to drill a new hole, and it was just small, but it was contact with the men. During the wait, some men considered suicide as an option, but their leader urged that it was better to work and stay busy in the meantime, rather than give up and kill yourself. On August 22, a small shaft reached the men. They sent food, water, and medicine. The rescue crew communicated with the miners, and this boistered up their hope again, all fresh. On October 12, a one-man capsule went down, and then the first man returned to the surface, now, it took 69 days after the collapse before all 33 miners were rescued. Today, our REACH BC and Yukon has a rescue plan. The plan is to rescue souls buried not only in sin, but also in the circumstances of life. As we give to REACH BC and Yukon, we are taking part in the rescue of precious souls for Christ. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. John 12, verse 46. And as you'll be exiting the sanctuary today, there's a receptacle on the PA booth there for you to drop in your offering, your tithe envelopes, etc. Let's bow our heads. Dear Lord, our world is full of tragedies, we're not the least bit pleased about it, but we know that you are absolutely in control and you will bring about a complete all-time rescue for all those who believe in you. And we pray that in the meantime, these offerings may be used to help other souls realize that, hey, somebody does care about me and there is a Savior and he is coming back for me. Thank you, dear Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Good morning, church family. Um, today's scripture reading can be found in Isaiah chapter 12, verses 3 to 5. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And in that day, you will say, Praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his deeds among the peoples, make mention that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. If you'd please bow your heads. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for a beautiful, beautiful Sabbath morning, Lord, with all those gathered here and all those watching online. I want to pray that the message today uh, touches a special place in our hearts, our minds, our souls, Lord, so that we can exalt your name and sing your praises to the world. Please be with the speaker today. Let your words be her words. In all you do, is great and gracious. Thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen. Good morning, church family. Before I start sharing my message, I would just like to say a few words about Thanksgiving. The first national Thanksgiving in Canada was celebrated in 1859. It was organized at the request of Protestant clergy and established as a national day of public thanksgiving and prayer. The holiday was intended for the public and solemn recognition of God's mercies. So let's fast forward to today, in 2021. Do we still take time to recognize God's mercies at Thanksgiving? Are we grateful and thankful for all the blessings that the Lord continues to bestow upon us? We are definitely living in some very tumultuous times right now, and we need not to presume on the Lord's mercies. I hope that each one of us take some time this weekend to remember what the Lord has done for us and what he will continue to do. Let's remember Psalms 107 verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Tony asked if I would share a message today to commemorate Women's Ministry Sabbath. So humbly I stand before you to share these thoughts, and I pray that you will be blessed. If you want to open up your Bibles, we'll be just focusing in John chapter 4. Recorded in this chapter is a story about a, a woman in Samaria who met Jesus at a well, who was changed by the encounter. Although she was an uneducated woman living in sin and had just then been introduced to truth with a capital T, she ran to the people she knew and she invited them to come see a man. Then she herself brought the people to Jesus, the Savior of the world. Today, as we emphasize and celebrate women and their ministry, 
We will learn lessons through the story of the Samaritan woman, a marvelous woman whose name is not even recorded. We will discover that every one of us, man, woman, and child, can do what the woman of Samaria did. No matter where we live, we can invite family, friends, and neighbors to come see Jesus. Can we just bow our heads for a moment? Dear Heavenly Father, once again I ask and invite your Holy Spirit to be present with us today to guide my words so that each one of us can receive a blessing. In thy name, amen. The woman at the well is a familiar story, and we will only read a portion from the passage in John chapter 4. I'm going to be reading verses 28 to 30 and 39 to 42 from the New International Version. Starting in verse 28. Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two more days. And verse 41, And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said, now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. The Samaritan woman went to Jacob's well at noontime to draw water for her household tasks. She expected to be alone, but when she arrived there, she found a man sitting by the well. Usually, everything about her day went as she expected it to go. But this wasn't just another trip to the well. That man wasn't any other man. That day wasn't like any other day. From the moment of her encounter with Jesus, the Samaritan woman was not the same woman. Like this woman, when we meet Jesus, we become changed. When he sends us on a mission, John 4.16, go, call your husband, or, go, tell your family, your friends, and everyone you meet. We can do what the Samaritan woman did. We can share how Jesus has transformed us. One might ask, me? How? Another might argue, but I didn't study theology. Others might claim, but I can't go as a missionary. Many might privately think, but I have so many problems in my life, I have nothing to share. A few might even confess, I'm not consecrated enough. Some might even refuse. I don't believe God called me to fulfill a mission. The story of the woman at the well shows us that to share the good news about Jesus, we don't need to be perfect, we don't need to know everything, and we don't need to go to distant lands. To reach our world, we don't need to be perfect. The Samaritan woman wasn't perfect. 
The fact that she was going to the well to draw water at a time when she would not meet other women tells us that she knew that she was far from perfect. Jesus' statement about her life reveals that she wasn't perfectly keeping the law. But the greatest evidence of something missing in her heart was the cry of her thirsty soul. John 4.15 says, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. The Samaritan woman was living in sin. Guilt oppressed her heart. Her conscience constrained her mind. Prejudiced looks cut through her soul. Going to the well when others was there was more than an embarrassing experience. It was humiliating. Day after day, she couldn't make sense of her existence. She was thirsty for something that water couldn't quench. She was thirsty for love, for peace, for freedom. If we were to choose a missionary to go preach the gospel, we wouldn't choose this woman. As a matter of fact, she herself would not even think to join her own congregation in an outreach project. However, she began sharing her experience as soon as she met Jesus. The people to whom she spoke did not yet know Jesus. They only knew her. Her life did not become perfect, but when she met the perfect man, she became a different woman. Instead of her imperfect life being the excuse, her imperfect life became the very substance of the message. Verse 29 says, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. To reach our world, we don't need to be perfect. To reach our world, we don't need to know everything. The Samaritan woman didn't know everything about religion. She had just met the rabbi, and she had questions about the Bible. She was confused about how to worship God correctly. And although she was expecting the coming of Messiah, she wasn't ready for today's encounter with him. I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. That's John 4.25. In addition to our imperfect lives being an excuse not to go reach our world, lack of knowledge or ability is also an excuse. I don't know how to give Bible studies. I'm shy and I don't like talking to people. I don't know the Bible very well. Oh, I'm too old for that. I'm too young for that. How many of us have heard or said these things ourselves? All we need to know about Jesus is this. He knows everything about us and still loves us. What matters is not how much we know, but how much of what we know impacts our lives. We don't need to know everything about Jesus. We only need to make Jesus known to others. Come, see a man. Could this be the Christ? Verse 29. So to reach our world, we don't need to know everything. To reach our world, we don't need to go far. 
The impact of the message and the presence of Jesus caused the Samaritan woman to drop her burden at his feet. She left her water jar and immediately returned home. Did she run away in fear? No. Instead, she ran away in freedom. She ran to her home and neighborhood freed from her burden and urged people to come with her to the well. First, she shared Jesus at home by going to get her husband. Then she talked about Jesus to her neighbors. Finally, she gave her testimony to her entire city. The Samaritan woman's greatest concern was bringing people to Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the greatest center of influence for each one of us is with our family and neighbors. They watch us. They know us. The way we live is the way we preach. They can understand that if Jesus has power to transform our messy lives, he also has power to transform their messy lives. But we must allow Jesus to use our transformed lives to transform the lives of our family, friends, and neighbors. Verse 39 says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. To reach our world, we don't need to go far. We have learned that we can go reach our world, but we do not need to be perfect, we do not need to know everything, and we do not need to go far. To make a difference, we need to share our testimony. The woman didn't preach a sermon. Despite being simple, her testimony was powerful. People who knew the Samaritan woman could not deny the sudden transformation they witnessed. Everyone in town could see that she was, in fact, different. There is no way to deny the power of a life touched by Christ's grace. If your life has been transformed by God's power, you need to share that truth. You need to allow people to see the difference that Jesus makes in your life. People need to know that Jesus accepts and offers his grace to them also. We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know. That's verse 42. To reach our world, we need to share our testimony. To make a difference... We need to focus on Jesus. The Samaritan woman simply said, Come, see a man. This is one of the best ways to present a personal testimony. Her testimony aroused curiosity, but the focus of her message was the person of Jesus. Our mission is to show the Savior to the world. We must talk about his life, his death, his resurrection his ministry, and his soon return to take us home. We ourselves must see Jesus and focus on his word before we ask others to come and see him. We must live out God's word. John 4:41 says, And because of his words, many more became believers. So to reach our world, we need to focus on Jesus. Ellen White writes, 
In Desire of Ages, page 195, about the experience in the ministry of the Samaritan woman. And as she states, As soon as she had found the Savior, the Samaritan woman brought others to him. She proved herself a more effective missionary than his own disciples. The disciples saw nothing in Samaria to indicate that it was an encouraging field. Their thoughts were fixed upon a great work to be done in the future. They did not see that right around them was a harvest to be gathered. But through the woman whom they despised, a whole city full were brought to hear the Savior. She carried the light at once to her countrymen. This woman represents the working of a practical faith in Christ. Every true disciple is born into the kingdom of God as a missionary. He who drinks of the living water becomes a fountain of life. The receiver becomes a giver. The grace of Christ in the soul is like a spring in the desert, welling up to refresh all and making those who are ready to perish eager to drink of the water of life. We are all called to go reach our world. I want to share with you a true story that has touched my heart. It's about David and Savea Flood. Back in 1921, a missionary couple named David and Savea Flood went with their two-year-old son from Sweden to the heart of Africa, to what was then called the Belgian Congo. They met up with another young Scandinavian couple, the Ericssons, and the four of them sought God for direction. In those days of much tenderness and devotion and sacrifice, they felt led of the Lord to set out from the main mission station and take the gospel to a remote area. This was a huge step of faith. At the village of Indalora, they were rebuffed by the chief, who would not let them enter his town for fear of alienating the local gods. So the two couples opted to go half a mile up the slope and build their own mud huts. They prayed for a spiritual breakthrough, but there was none. The only contact with the villagers was a young boy who was allowed to sell them chickens and eggs twice a week. Savea Flood, a tiny woman only four feet eight inches tall, decided that if this was the only African she could talk to, she would try to lead the boy to Jesus. And in fact, she succeeded. But there were no other encouragements. Meanwhile, malaria continued to strike one member of the little band after another. In time, the Ericssons decided that they had had enough suffering and left to return to the Central Mission Station. David and Savea Flood remained near Indolora to go on alone. Then, of all things, Savea found herself pregnant in the middle of the primitive wilderness. When the time came for her to give birth, the village chief softened enough to allow a midwife to go and help her. A little girl was born, whom they named Anya. The delivery, however, was exhausting, 
and Savea flood was already weak from bouts of malaria. The birth pro process was a heavy blow to her stamina, and she lasted only another 17 days. Inside David flood, something snapped in that moment. He dug a crude grave, buried his 27-year-old wife, and then took his children back down the mountain to the mission station. He gave his newborn daughter to the Ericsons as he snarled, I'm going back to Sweden. I've lost my wife, and I obviously can't take care of this baby. God has ruined my life. With that, he headed for the port, rejecting not only his calling, but God himself. Within eight months, both the Ericsons were stricken with a mysterious malady and died within days of each other. The baby was then turned over to some American missionaries who adjusted her Swedish name to Aggie, and eventually they brought her back to the United States at the age of three. The family loved the little girl and were afraid that if they tried to return to Africa, some legal obstacle might separate her from them. So they decided to stay in their home country and switch from missionary work to pastoral work. And that is how Aggie grew up in South Dakota. As a young woman, she attended North Central Bible College in Minneapolis. There she met and married a young man named Dewey Hurst. Years passed. The Hursts enjoyed a fruitful ministry. Aggie gave birth first to a daughter and then a son. In time, her husband became president of a Christian college in the Seattle area, and Aggie was intrigued to find so much Scandinavian heritage there. One day, a Swedish religious magazine appeared in her mailbox. She had no idea who had sent it, and of course, she couldn't read the words. But as she turned the pages, all of a sudden, a photo stopped her cold. There, in a primitive setting, was a grave with a white cross, and on the cross were the words, Savea Flood. Aggie jumped in her car and went straight for the college faculty member who she knew could translate the article. What does it say? The instructor summarized the story. It was about missionaries who had come to Endalora long ago, the birth of a white baby, the death of the young mother, the one little African boy who had been led to Christ, and how after all the whites had left, the boy had grown up and finally persuaded the chief to let him build a school in the village. The article said that gradually he won all his students to Christ. The children led their parents to Christ. Even the chief had become a Christian. Today, there were 600 Christian believers in that one village, all because of the sacrifice of David and Savea Flood. For the Hearst 25th wedding anniversary, the college presented them with a gift of a vacation to Sweden. There, Aggie sought to find her real father. An old man now, David Flood had remarried, fathered four more children, and generally dissipated his life with alcohol. He had recently also suffered a stroke. Still bitter, he had one rule in his family, never 
mention the name of God because God took everything from him. After a very emotional reunion with her half-brothers and half-sister, Aggie brought up the subject of seeing her father. The others hesitated. You can talk to him, they replied, even though he's very ill right now. But you need to know that whenever he hears the name of God, he flies into a rage. But Aggie was not to be deterred. She walked into the squalid apartment with liquor bottles everywhere and approached the 73-year-old man lying in a crumpled bed. Papa, she said. He turned and began to cry. Anya, he said, I never meant to give you away. It's all right, Papa. She replied, taking him gently into her arms. God took care of me. The old man instantly stiffened. The tears stopped. God forgot all of us. Our lives have been like this because of him. He turned his face back to the wall. Aggie stroked his face and then continued undaunted. Papa, I've got a little story to tell you, and it's a true one. You didn't go to Africa in vain. Mama didn't die in vain. The little boy she won to the Lord grew up to win that whole village to Jesus Christ. The one seed she planted just kept growing and growing. Today, there are 600 African people serving the Lord because you were faithful to the call of God in your life. Papa, Jesus loves you. He has never hated you. I've heard the story so many times, but it just, <laughs> it touches my heart every time. The old man turned back to look in his daughter's eyes. His body relaxed. He began to talk. And by the end of the afternoon, he had come back to the God he had resented for so many decades. Over the next few days, father and daughter enjoyed warm moments together. Aggie and her husband soon had to return to America. And within a few weeks, David Flood had passed away. A few years later, the Hearsts were attending a high-level evangelism conference in London, England, when a report was given from the nation of Zaire, the former Belgian Congo. The superintendent of the National Church, representing some 110,000 baptized believers, spoke eloquently of the gospel spread in his nation. Aggie could not help going to ask him afterward if he had ever heard of David and Savea Flood. Yes, madam, the man replied in French, his words being translated into English. It was Savea Flood who led me to Jesus Christ. I was the boy that brought chickens and eggs to your parents before you were born. In fact, to this day, your mother's grave and her memory are honored by all of us. He embraced her in a long, sobbing, sobbing hug. Then he continued, you must come to Africa to see, because your mother is the most famous person in our history. So in time, that is exactly what Aggie Hurst and her husband did. 
They were welcomed by cheering throngs of villagers. She even met the man her father had hired many years before to carry her back down the mountain. The most dramatic moment, of course, was when the pastor escorted Aggie to see her mother's white cross for herself. She knelt in the soil to pray and to give thanks. Later that day in the church, the pastor read from John 12, 24. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. He then followed with Psalms 126, 5. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. No matter who we are, we can invite others to come see the Savior of the world. How we share Jesus with others is made effective by our own personal experience with him. You and I have received the call to go reach our world. Don't let your imperfections, your lack of knowledge or skills, or impossibilities stop you. Prioritize your mission. Share your testimony. Focus on Jesus and be a living reminder of Jesus wherever you go. Without a doubt, when you do this, others will believe in Jesus because of your transformation. Do you, women and men, young and old, desire to leave here today declaring the same words as the Samaritan woman? Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Do you long to introduce your family, your friends, and your neighbors to Jesus because of what he's done for you? Will your loved ones have opportunity to say, now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Verse 42. Let us stand and pray that God gives us opportunities and courage to respond. Here I am, send me. I will go reach my world. Our closing song is 511, I Know Whom I Have Believed.
Amen. Heavenly Father, I pray and praise your holy name and thank you for the mercies that you continue to bestow upon us. Help each one of us to leave with a grateful heart, Lord, remembering how you have led us and how you will continue to lead us. Father, bless each one here and those that couldn't be here. As we start another week, please walk with us. Help us, Lord, to be used in your service. Help us to reach your world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.